0: You may be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Camper Mundy, Associate Pastor here, so I'd like to also extend my welcome to you and especially those of you who are visiting. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us. Well, as I was growing up, one of the things that I learned about my mom is that she had trouble keeping plants alive. Now, she loved having plants around the house. I mean, we had, we had lots of plants everywhere, but... You know, they were kind of on a rotation. They'd come in, they'd die, and we'd get some more. And then just a couple of years ago, my mom was really excited because she had finally caught on to this whole keeping the plant alive thing. And she had this, this one new plant, and week after week, it was just so vibrant and just shining, and she would water it over and over. And she began to notice that it really didn't drink a whole lot of water. And then one day she was dusting, and she started dusting right around that plant, and she took a closer look, and she realized it was an artificial plant. (laughs) Yes, no real life in that plant. And if you were here last week, you remember that James told us not to deceive ourselves. Don't deceive yourselves, but true faith is alive. And true faith bears fruit. In fact, that is James' central concern in this letter to us. Our text this morning is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Uh, It's found on page 1011, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, uh, the English Standard Version. But last week we concluded with chapter 1, and and James ends that chapter with verses 26 and 27. And not only do they conclude chapter 1 and, and even act as a transition into chapter 2, but they really set us up for the rest of his letter, uh, what we will be seeing over the next several weeks. So let's reread those verses uh, from chapter 1, uh, verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Well, here James speaks of true religion, and as was mentioned last week as well, often when we hear the word religion or we use it, uh, we hear it or use it in a, a negative sense. It has a, often has a negative connotation, but James is speaking of it in a positive sense. Uh, here James is speaking of true religion, uh, referring to genuine faith, uh, And particularly, an expression of that faith, how it is expressed, its visible manifestation. So, let's review. What are the marks of true religion? What are the fruits of genuine faith? Well, James lists three in these couple of verses. A control of the tongue, care for widows and orphans, the poor, and keeping ourselves from conformity to the world. And these three fruits become the major themes for the rest of his letter. And so we would think that as we move into chapter 2, he would immediately launch in to unpacking, in a really big way, each of these themes. But instead, he begins with a a seemingly insignificant topic. Partiality. Favoritism. He does address the the poor, but all of a sudden he's he's addressing partiality? Where's he going with this? And... Though it may only appear to be a minor issue, Jesus tells us uh, in the Gospel of Matthew that minor issues best reveal the heart. And so we must consider this issue as well. Again, our text is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Uh, Please pray with me, and then we'll read our passage. Our gracious God, we thank you for calling us here this morning. Uh, for bringing us together to worship. And we know that part of that worship is that we would hear from you. But we need you to do that work in us, day after day, week after week, moment after moment. And so, would you open us afresh to your word and your word afresh to us, our eyes that we may see, our ears that we might hear, that our lives would be changed And we could live more fully as we were created to live. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now hear the word of God from James chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, "Eh, you stand over there or sit down here at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This is the word of God. Well, we're dealing with the sin of partiality. Show no partiality, no favoritism. So, three questions for us to consider. What, why, and how? What are we to do? Why are we to do it? And how are we to do it? So, first, what are we to do? Well, simply put, show no partiality. Easy enough, right? Don't show favoritism. Okay, that was quick. Point. 2 Now you knew I'm not ready to move on. James is really pointing out a bit more here than we might first expect. Because if we look closely enough at his letter, what we begin to see is that favoritism and faith are incompatible. Now, the word we translate partiality or favoritism, it's a compound word based on an Old Testament phrase literally meaning To receive a face. To receive a face. In other words, to judge based on appearance. And additionally, uh, the form that it's in here, it's actually plural. Plural in the Greek, but that's a little bit awkward for us to translate into English because we don't talk about uh, partialities or favoritisms. But what James is saying is, show no partialities. Plural. Plural. Don't show favoritisms. And though James is about to give an illustration regarding our treatment of the poor, which is a central concern of his, he actually forbids being partial for any reason. Genuine faith shows no acts of favoritism, period. And yet favoritism is all around us. Now, it doesn't really bother us so much if we get the benefits of that favoritism. Show me a little favor of that. That's not such a bad deal. But what if you're on the short end of it? What if you get the raw deal? Oh, we cry out for justice. And you might especially remember this as a little kid growing up, especially if you had siblings. And you remember when they were shown more favor than you. Oh, you cried out for justice to mom and dad. And now some of you have kids that are accusing you of showing favoritism to a brother or sister. Now, I was uh, recently reading a research study that was looking at the way clothing affects perception. So this study was done in New York City. And day after day, a man went down to the same business district wearing the same uh, nice business suit. And he would go up to strangers and ask for cash. And these were he used the same words every time. I've lost my wallet and need money for a taxi to the airport. Here is my name, address, and phone number. If you loan me the money, I'll repay you as soon as I get home. Now, the one variance in his attire is he would wear a different overcoat each day. Some days he would wear beige, some days black, some days blue, other days gray. And it just happened to be... That that year, the in color for overcoats was beige. The days that he wore his beige overcoat, he received twice as much money as he did on any other days. Simple favoritism. Human beings play favorites, plain and simple. Well, James gives us his own illustration, uh, verses two through four. Well, the storyline is simple. Uh, God's people have gathered together probably for worship in a house church. Two men arrive at the same time. We don't know a lot about them. Maybe they're Christians, maybe they're not. Maybe they're regular attenders. Maybe they're visitors. But what we do know is this. One is wearing fine clothes of wealth. The other is wearing shabby clothes of poverty. The rich man is given a good seat probably up front, and the poor man is told to sit on the floor, probably near the back. And James exhorts, show no partiality. Now, it may very well be the rich over the poor for us. Uh, uh, Again, a concern of James. He's going to develop this more fully in the second half of chapter 2. But remember, James says show no partialities, plural. No acts of favoritism, period. So what is it for you? Maybe it's treating more favorably a Republican over a Democrat. Or a Democrat over a Republican. An outgoing person over a quiet one. The sharp intellectual. Over the slow or uneducated. An attractive person over a disfigured person. Maybe someone older over someone younger. Or maybe someone younger over someone older. Maybe someone of your own race over someone of a different race. Maybe a Presbyterian over a Baptist. Or an American over an Iraqi. Maybe a Christian over a seeker, or maybe rich over poor. The Bible tells us that God shows no partiality. And God's desire is that we emulate His character, and that we obey His will, refusing to play favorites. One commentator summarizes it this way. In the gospel, God honors every son and daughter who seeks after Him. The church is a family, not a club. And favoritism has no place in a family. When we love and receive all kinds of people, it shows that God's ways are becoming our ways. For God loves the marginalized. So that's the what. What we are to do. But now why? Why show no partiality? Well, we just read James' illustration in uh, verses 2 through 4, where he specifically forbids believers from favoring the rich over the poor by giving the rich better seats. Now, if you remember a moment ago, I pointed out that minor issues best reveal the heart. And as trivial as beginning with the issue of favoritism may seem, it actually touches on each of the areas of true religion, of genuine faith. And we see that in James' very brief story, his, his example. If you remember, genuine faith cares for the poor. But favoritism harms them through disrespect and neglect. Genuine faith controls the tongue. But favoritism tells others to sit in the corner. Genuine faith keeps us from conformity to the world. But favoritism trusts in wealth and appearances rather than in Jesus. Now let's go a little deeper with this last statement favoritism trusts in wealth and appearances rather than in Jesus. Favoritism is completely worldly which means it is faithless. So let's pick up again with verses 5 through 7. Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Pastor Dan Doriani notes, Favoritism continues the world's inclination to prefer the rich over the poor. Favoritism rejects God's decision to grant equal honor to poor and rich alike. Favoritism forgets God's will and seeks the favor of the rich by giving them special attention. And favoritism is foolish, since the rich often use their power to exploit the poor, taking them to court and slandering God's name. At its heart, favoritism ultimately contradicts faith in Jesus Christ. Favoritism denies faith. You see, if we show partiality to any person, uh, whether it's because they're rich or they hold a particular position of power or for any other reason, when we show partiality towards other people, then we are living as if associating with them or even gaining what they have is the thing that will bring us true meaning and purpose rather than looking to Jesus who gives us true meaning and purpose. Do you know what berging is? B-I-R-G-ing. Berging. I'm thinking over here, intro psych class. Anybody at William & Mary taking an intro psych class? Okay, you didn't read that part. It's in there. If you've taken an intro to psych class... In, say, the last 30, 35 years, you probably came across Berging, basking in reflected glory. Oh, yeah, we all do it. Now, it can be defined this way. A self-serving cognition whereby an individual associates him or herself with a successful other, such that the other's success becomes their own. Now, a basic example of this, and actually the the foundational study for this back in uh, 1976, studied university students and studied what happened when their team did really well over the weekend. Now, if your team wins, you're a lot more likely to wear the team colors, the team logo, come Monday you're going to pull out that William and Mary sweatshirt. It looks pretty good and feels pretty good on Monday because we won a couple days ago. And when you talk about the game, you say we. The pronoun we comes in. We really showed them. We did so good. We're awesome. Now, the team doesn't win over the weekend. I think I'm going to keep that sweatshirt in the closet today and... When you talk about the game, all of a sudden it's they. You know They just didn't show up on Saturday. I, I really don't know what's wrong with them. They need me. Okay, wh- why do we show favoritism? We do it as an attempt as an attempt to grasp meaning and purpose. We do it, it's an attempt for us to, to grasp identity. Ultimately, to grasp glory. And when we are seeking glory apart from Jesus, that is not faith. And yet our deepest desire is glory. And that takes us to our final point. How? How can we live a life of faith without favoritism? If favoritism is all around us, and it's so easy for us to do, how could we ever live a life of faith without favoritism? Well, we need to look into the mirror. We need to look into the mirror. Do you remember last week, James likened God's Word, the Bible, to a mirror? Chapter 1, verse 23. And immediately before that, the verse immediately before that, James exhorts, be doers of the Word, Not hearers only. Because James understands that first we do need to hear. We also need to see. To look in the mirror and to see. And then we are to do. Okay, this is very important. God's word shows you who you are. Before it ever tells you what to do. God's Word shows you who you are before it tells you what to do. If you pick up this book simply as a rule book, as many people do, and just try to do the thing it says, it will kill you. Now, I'm a young pastor, so I haven't had a lot of experience of picking people up from this yet. I've had to pick up some. But I've been told by more seasoned pastors that by the end of their ministry, it seems like they are picking people up left and right that are just trying to do and it's not flowing from who they are. God's Word shows you who you are before it tells you what to do. Knowing this is central to understanding the book of James. It is, it is really essential if you're going to understand the Bible. It is central to living out the gospel. Being comes before Doing. Doing flows out of being. You see, simply doing Christian stuff doesn't make you a Christian. Any more than being in a garage makes you a car, being in a barn makes you a cow. It's about a heart change that gets expressed through active faith. And when you look into the mirror of the Bible, into the mirror of God's Word, you'll see two things about yourself. As one pastor puts it, you'll see that you are radically fallen and you are infinitely exalted. You'll see that you are radically fallen due to sin and at the same time, you'll see that you are infinitely exalted through faith in Jesus Christ. You've probably been in the bathroom before brushing your teeth or something. You've got a mirror there and your brother or your sister or your spouse or someone comes in and they're standing behind you maybe brushing their teeth as well. Now, you can turn around and you just see the one person. But when you look in the mirror, you see both. You see who you are and you see who Jesus is and you begin to see who you are in Jesus. On the one hand, you see That you are messed up. Just like everybody else. No room for favoritism here. We are all in the same sinking boat. You need a savior. The rich man needs a savior. The poor man needs a savior. And as the saying goes, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. You are radically fallen. And thus you have a radical need of Jesus. Now, on the other hand, as you look into the mirror of God's Word, you see that you are valued just like everyone else. Again, no need for favoritism, no room for favoritism, because everybody has worth. Christ died for you. Christ died for the rich man. Christ died for the poor man. And you are infinitely exalted through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in His finished work on the cross. That takes us back to verse 1. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We are called to hold on to faith without Favoritism. We are called to hold on to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. Did you catch that phrase? Now, this phrase wasn't just thrown in there. It's not as if James was writing and thinking, I need a good superlative. The Lord Jesus Christ, the great and almighty. No, I could find something better. The Lord of glory, that's it. No, this is very intentional. And we especially need to pay attention to it because of who it's coming from. Do you remember James is the brother of Jesus? James grew up with Jesus, went through a period of doubt. We know that. But he grew up, probably learned carpentry skills with Jesus. They played together. They took baths together together. Now, if anyone can ever live with you and walk away and say something positive, that's really encouraging. But when you are able to say, the Lord of glory, something amazing has clicked. The word glory in Hebrew is kavod, meaning heaviness or weight. Glory points to the substance of, Of something, how weighty it is, how much it matters. The rich man shows his glory in what he wears, the poor man shows his lack of glory in what he wears. But think about God's glory for a moment God's glory, ultimate, eternal. Lasting, more beautiful than we could ever imagine. It is of more substance and, and of greater weight than we could ever dream. Again, look into the mirror. And what do you see? We're just looking briefly into the mirror through 2 Corinthians. We hear these words. We see this, Jesus, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God shone his light into our hearts that we might experience the glory of God The expressed image of which is in Jesus. These clothes don't matter so much because through faith in Jesus Christ, you are clothed in Christ's glory. We are given weight, we have meaning, you matter. Though radically fallen in Christ, you are infinitely exalted. Every other attempt at glory is like grasping the air. You get nothing. But through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you become rich in faith. We become heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him, rich and poor alike. When we don't show partiality, we are basking in the glory of Jesus. Now, as we step out in faith, seeking to show no favoritism, James knows something else. He knows that we are going to stumble and fall. In fact, he'll mention that in the next chapter. That all of us stumble in many ways. And so James, throughout his letter, throughout this part of the mirror into which we are called to look. Listen, see, because James also reminds us to humble ourselves through gospel-kissed repentance. There we will discover genuine faith, the true faith that bears true fruit, real fruit, a living and active faith. Not only with boldness, but also with grace. James calls us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. To hold on to faith without favoritism. To hold on to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Thanks be to God. Amen.